Welcome to Witches Being Witches. Spiritual besties chatting all things stars, skin, science, sex, and self-love. I'm Tara, Ayurvedic consultant, cosmic witch, and Vedic astrologer. And I'm Emily, qualified naturopath, holistic skin witch, and founder of natural skin and lifestyle brand, The Purist Collection. Witches Being Witches is for the woman who is ready to reclaim her power, dares to take up space, and expresses herself fully. A witch is a woman who embraces nature, its cycles, and knows that she is magic. Welcome, Welcome fellow witch. witch. We are so happy you are here. This episode is proudly brought to you by The Purist Collection, a luxury naturopath-formulated skin, body, and lifestyle brand, supporting you with herbal medicine, flower aroma, and crystal therapy, because what you put on your body is just as important as what you put in it. Available online at thepuristcollection.com. That's the with purist, P-U-R-I-S-T, collection.com. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to episode 26, Soul-Led Sobriety with Lucy Quick. Lucy is a life and sobriety coach committed to empowering women through examining their relationship with alcohol and overdrinking. Lucy is the co-founder of Thrivalist Sobriety, a bespoke and radical self-resource for sober curious women around the globe. Lucy now dedicates her days to helping women from all around the world build deep and loving connections with themselves and completely change their relationship with alcohol and live wondrous, happy lives. I loved this conversation with Lucy. I think it was really um, eye-opening and she was so vulnerable as well in her in sharing her story with us and I, I really appreciated that. Yeah, I love how Lucy really addressed drinking alcohol on mm. a really holistic level. Yes, absolutely. And given some really good tips. Mm. And what I really took away from this is having that self-awareness with our relationship with alcohol. Totally. Yeah. And as Lucy said, and and I actually think it's really important that she said this because I've been put off listening to sobriety episodes of podcasts in the past because I I think there is that um, expectation almost that they are going to completely vilify alcohol and make mm. alcohol out to be the devil. And if you touch one single drop, everyone is going to hate you. You know, like there's that. Um, yeah, that, that is that a process. Fear. Absolutely. But also looking at alcohol and drinking as not necessarily problematic unless we are out of control. Yeah, and that brings up a really good point because this has really made me reflect on my relationship with mm. alcohol and I have a, a really healthy relationship with alcohol now. But in my younger years, I definitely used it as a tool to numb out. I felt like I didn't have uh, the the tools back then and yeah. that, was, that was what I used. Yeah, and I think we've all used alcohol to escape and numb before mm. on at least one occasion. Yeah, and I think we need to, like you've brought this up and we need to look at what's going on in our life mm. because there was things in my life that I wanted to escape from yeah. that are not in my life now. So potentially it is a lot to do with our environment, our relationships, how we feel about ourselves. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so this is why it comes down to that self-awareness. It's how we're feeling about ourselves, how we're feeling about our relationships in life and, yeah, and, and, and where, where we're going. Yeah. What are we escaping from 
Mm. And how are we escaping from it? And I think as we touch on in this episode, alcohol is a, a massive industry and especially in Western culture, a very acceptable, normalised, glamorised practice almost. And if we are looking to constantly escape and we are losing control and moderation through attempting to escape, kind of coming back to that self-reflection and, as you said, Tara, really analysing our relationship with alcohol and with drinking and escapism generally. Yeah, and it's like you say, Em, it's that conscious mm-hmm. consumption. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yep. that's what we're all about. So um, Em and I do, or I have the occasional drink, and mm. so it mm. is very much, um, yeah, just how we can mm. look at this through a different lens and, and yeah. being um, conscious when we are consuming. Yeah, are you consuming alcohol because you en- enjoy that beautiful glass of wine and sharing that beautiful bottle of wine with your friends and having amazing conversations or are you doing it because you hate your life and hate your relationships yeah Yeah. exactly and and because you just want to feel nothing for a minute (laughs) yes and is that something that's starting to happen on a daily or weekly Mm. um level and if so is it time to check in and instead really process what's going on in your life and and look at and process that instead of looking for an escape route? And I think Lucy provides some really incredible tools, obviously through Thrivalist, her business, but also in this podcast episode, I think she was really generous in sharing some incredible navigation tools here. Yeah, some concepts that I'd never heard before. So mm. I'm really excited to share this episode with you, fellow witch. Yeah, as always, I think it's a really empowering conversation and we hope you enjoy it. Welcome, Lucy, to Witches Being Witches. We're excited to have this conversation with you and we would love to start off with what is your sun and rising sign, if you know? Hi, ladies. Thank you for having me. My sun is, I'm a Leo sun and a Sagittarius rising. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I don't really know a hell of a lot about what that means, but um, yeah, I'm a typical Leo, I think. Yeah, well, the Leo is that loves the limelight, loves the more of an extrovert and is like that brave, the courage, really wanting to be, yeah, out there, seen on stage. A little bit fiery. Yeah, a little bit fiery. (laughs) (laughs) Passionate. Yeah. And the rising Sagittarius is that adventure seeker wanting to get to the truth, um, you know, about the philosophy um, and travelling as well. Yeah, definitely all of me. <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> all of the above. And do you know your human design type, Lucy? Yes, I'm a manifesting generator. Oh, yes. Yes, most <laughs> of our guests are manifesting generators for sure. I think that works really nicely yeah. with the Leo sun. Definitely makes sense. Interesting. And we would really love to know how has your path to mm. where you are now? Can you explain to us, Lucy, what it is that you do and how have you got there? What was sort of the moments that's led you to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely, Tara. So I run an online community for women to help change their relationship with alcohol and 
it's really my mission to offer like a really safe judgment-free space for women to question their own relationship and get the support they need to actually get help and to stay sober. Um, And so this business is all, you know, it all stems from my own personal experience with alcohol, which Mm. um, in 2018, I, I found myself in a really dark place and I'd been using alcohol for 20 years in an unhealthy way. So I'd always had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol since the first time I started drinking. And it took me, I don't know why, I don't, this is the thing that kind of I'm still trying to work out, but it took me 20 years to understand that I was never going to be able to drink alcohol. And 2018, I had a six-month-old baby and a four-year-old daughter. And I was in a really unhealthy marriage, unhappy marriage. Mm-hmm. I was working in a, um, for a business just in a really unfulfilling marketing role. And I was using alcohol to escape and to numb. Mm-hmm. And I was really stuck in an addictive cycle, alcohol addiction. And it was nearing Christmas towards the end of 2018 and things sort of ramped up. I was fighting a lot with my ex-husband um, work was really stressful trying to meet deadlines and being treated really poorly by by management and it was a very male dominated work environment Mm -hmm. so I felt a lot of pressure and a lot of stress so I was drinking more and more and more and it was actually Christmas day 2018 I had a shocking um a shocking day I drank way too much I blacked out and made an absolute fool of myself in front of you know, my parents and, um, and some extended family as well. And I ended up going to pretty much uninvited or invited myself to a friend's gathering where she basically put me in an Uber and sent me straight home. I didn't have any shoes on. I was a mess. And I can't remember any of this either. This is all a big blackout. Mm. And the next morning I woke up Boxing Day 2018 and, and looked at my phone and there was a pop-up on it that said, Um, It was from Uber and it said, your account has been deactivated. And it was just this moment of realizing, like, first of all, I don't even remember being in an Uber, Mm. let alone what I did in the Uber. And, you know, it's all funny at the time. And I remember ringing my friend and we kind of laughed about it. And I'm thinking, but this is actually not funny anymore. Mm. Um, So that was this wake up call that I sort of needed to realize. I was just one step away from doing something that could really damage my life, hurt myself, hurt my family. Um, And so it was that moment that I realised, okay, I really do have a problem and I need to change the way that I drink. It wasn't actually that, that wasn't the last time I drank. I had one more experience of drinking and I went to a wedding and I had a full, like I had a mantra written on the back of my hand saying, today I will moderate, today I'll moderate. And I would say it over and over in my head. I had a plan to drink, you know, all the water, eat a big meal, have two glasses of champagne, go home with my husband um, and that would be it. But, of course, after the first glass of champagne, all of that went out the window and another blackout night and I didn't make it home with my husband. I stayed out all night. Mm -hmm. And it was actually that experience that I needed to really prove that even putting 100% effort into moderating, Mm. I still can't seem to manage this. And so it was that moment that I decided to stop drinking. So that was my last sort of big hurrah. And 
I began a journey of just, you know, tuning into my intuition and starting to really ask the universe for guidance around, well, what do I do? What next? Mm. Um, And it was New Year's Eve and I was sitting outside meditating and I hadn't had a drink, so I was sober. I'd written out a journal sort of, these are the things that I want to achieve this year. Um, I don't often share this story, but it's just coming out. I think you girls are the perfect audience for it. And your, your, um, your listeners would totally relate to this. I actually had this experience of seeing a really bright light fly up the hillside. I was at my parents' farm and it was all countryside. So there was no lights, there were no cars, there was no people around. It was dark. It was New Year's Eve. And I saw a big bright light flying up a hill and it sort of like just went over my head. And I honestly, in that moment, didn't really, I didn't know what had happened. I didn't, I couldn't really understand it. And it wasn't until like six months later that I started to investigate more around this sort of thing that I realized this was a huge, you know, perhaps an angel, I'm not sure, but there was something spiritual in that moment. Um, And so from the 1st of Jan onwards, I stopped drinking. And what I realized really early on was that there were really only a couple of options for women like me, and it was AA or rehab. And I went to my doctor and she said, I'll go to AA. And I did go to AA, but I really didn't feel connected or I didn't feel empowered and inspired through Mm -hmm. my personal experience of AA. It felt quite, it's actually for me personally, and it's different from everyone, but I felt quite depressed after an AA meeting or Mm. I actually felt quite anxious going to one because I knew that I would feel depressed after. So what I realized was there's actually this, you know, not just an opportunity, but there's like a missing piece to this puzzle for women like me who want to get support and feel really excited about their experience of Mm. quitting drinking. And so I trained to become a life coach and I co-founded Thrivalist. I've since bought the business off my ex-business partner, but we created um, this, this beautiful platform with courses and there's community, there's coaching calls and we've supported over 4,000 women now since. Wow. Yeah, it's been massive since the middle of um, July 2020. And so that's that's my story. But, yeah. <laughs> thank you for being vulnerable to share that. Oh, and that's fine. Thank you. And what a beautiful gift that you've been able to turn around your experience and help women. And as you said, actually empower women, which is really what we are about with this podcast, em- empowering mm. women. So. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I'd love to ask, Lucy, when you were, um, before you stopped drinking, um, you spoke about your relationship being unhealthy to alcohol. Mm. Did you realise at the time that there was that unhealthy relationship and and what did that look like in the lead up or was it those last two final events that realized it was like that no I it really wasn't um it basically from when I first started drinking at the age of 14 I realized that alcohol affected me differently to other people Mm. and I grew up in a society where alcohol use was modeled to me by my parents yeah I saw it in the media I saw it on movies on the TV. And so I became conditioned from basically from birth to believe that this, this thing called alcohol is a really important way, a really important part of life. And not only that, 
all of, I mean, the, the alcohol industry is a $1.5 trillion mm. industry. It's one of the, the biggest industries in the world. And so the marketing spend behind that industry is, is huge. So, I mean, we've all been raised to honestly almost brain, be brainwashed to believe that we need alcohol mm. in our life. And some people can drink normally. So I'm absolutely not against the, I'm not against alcohol, but mm. what I am really, um, what I'm really passionate about is communicating that message that some people just have this perfect storm inside of them. Mm. And that can be um, a family pre, a, a family predisposition mm. to alcohol addiction. It can be a mental health um, condition. So I had anxiety. I had social anxiety. I also had a really low self-esteem and low self-worth as a teenager. Mm. And um, I also, I mean, I also had, I was also addicted to cigarettes from a really young age. So I kind of had that in me to become addicted. So from that age of 14, from the, the time that I started, I spent 20 years trying to moderate my drinking and I'm not exaggerating that whatsoever Mm, so mm. it was almost like every time I went out it would be okay tonight I'm not going to get too drunk and I'd have all of these rules and I would have um this plan and it would most often not go ahead the plan wouldn't work out as planned and Mm. very very often black out so I sort of had periods in my life where I was able to to not get too drunk and that was normally because I had the help of cocaine or other drugs Mm. and so that actually balanced out me getting messy blackout drunk Mm. Um, but when I was just going through periods of just drinking I would spend most weekends in a um, a remorseful and anxious state of regret over what I'd done and Mm. you know the person I'd been Um, but I still didn't believe it was possible to have a really fulfilling, full, joyful life without alcohol because of that conditioning and that brainwashing. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, and it is, like you say, it's that glamorisation, not only Mm. with the media, um, but it's so social as well. Mm -hmm. And it is, there's still kind of that stigma there if you're not drinking. um, You're not cool. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when, when we're younger, I think. I actually didn't really start drinking until I'd say early to mid-20s. And, yeah, I of, very often felt, um, yeah, uncalled. And it's interesting because um, I suffered quite badly from anxiety and depression both when I was younger and had a lot of self-esteem issues and I'm kind of glad that I didn't start drinking until later once I'd kind of gotten more on top of those because I think, Lucy, in all honesty, I probably would have ended up in a very similar situation. And I think a lot of um, – it's it's really interesting hearing you speak and I, I wonder if you do talk a lot with your community about that um, self-value and self-love as part of what you do because – it was interesting hearing you speak about, you know, putting all of those rules in place for yourself. And then you can imagine that as soon as you have one extra drink, you've ruined that rule. And then that kind of um, self-hatred almost kicks in of, well, I'm a failure, I've stuffed up now, so now I'm just going to drink to absolute excess, as opposed to just saying, oh, I've had one more drink than I'd planned to. That's okay, I'm going to leave it there. But instead kind of then it 
kind of spirals, doesn't it? And especially if you're socially anxious as well and in a social setting, I'd imagine, too. Yeah, absolutely. There's two parts to your question there. The first being um, that self-worth piece. Mm. And and the second piece is actually, I'll address that first, which is actually the brain, uh, the alcohol affects the brain in a way that we can't actually make conscious decisions for ourselves. So yeah. it's not that I wanted to get blackout drunk. It's yeah. just that that part of my brain had shut down. And so and also because I drank very fast mm. and people with social anxiety tend to drink a lot faster than mm. people who, mm. who don't have it. And so that combination really shuts off that part of the brain that allows me to make those conscious, smart decisions for my mm. higher self. And instead I just go into blackout mode. Yeah. So that's the first thing. I never wanted to get blackout drunk. It was mm. never part of the plan, but I, I didn't realize that this was actually a, a psychological and chemical um, situation that I wasn't going to be able to have any control over once mm. alcohol had started to enter my bloodstream. And then the second part is you mentioned self-worth. And this is the first thing that goes out the window when you have a yeah. problem with drinking. Yeah. Because you, you, everyone who has come to my, to Thrivalist will say, I, I just loathe who I am. Mm. And it really takes you to that place of not even wanting to look at yourself in the mirror you hate who you are you become a different person and you make decisions that are so not aligned with who you are mm. with your values with your goals in life you do things that you know not only physically affect you in a way that increase de depression and anxiety and just mm. release a whole bunch of stress hormones makes you feel horrible anyway but then in terms of like learning how to care and love yourself care for and love yourself mm. that just goes out the window when you when you have a problem with drinking and so that's actually a really beautiful part of, of the sober journey because it's the first and most important step to the process. It's understanding often for the first time who, who you are, mm. this person that has been suffocated and numbed out by alcohol. Mm. You get to know that person for the first time and really nurture her um, mm. and learn how to love and care for her mm. so deeply. And that's mm. such a joy, especially when you're in your 30s and you, you never felt that before. It's such a beautiful yeah. gift. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yeah, I love that. You can really connect back to yourself. And, you know, for a lot of that alcohol intake, it can be that Band-Aid, like you said. It's sort of, you know, trying to, you know, help with that self-confidence, but it ends up, mm. like you say, that's, that's spiralling. Um. So I would love to know what, um, when it comes to alcohol and escapism, do you think that plays a lot into it as well, especially where we are in our current climate? Mm. Do you think that plays a, a big role? I know for myself, I don't typically really drink much anymore. Um, but when I was, before I stopped, um, I was looking at my motivations behind drinking and a lot of the time if I'd had a really busy day or there was something that I wasn't wanting to um, mentally think about anymore, that is when I would go to reach the alcohol and I found that pattern and um, I don't think unless you have that self-awareness because alcohol is seen as so accessible and so just normal. yeah normal mm. that we don't pause 
to before we do that, before we have that behaviour. So I'd love to know um, if that's something that in your um, society that you're building, is it a escapism metric as well? Absolutely. It's when you think about what alcohol does to the brain. So Mm -hmm. it artificially releases a whole bunch of beautiful feel-good chemicals Mm. and dopamine, endorphins. It feels really nice to have a drink initially. But what a lot of people don't realise is that to counter the numbing effects of alcohol, the brain will release um, a a surge of, of stress hormones like cortisol and adrenaline which actually stays in the body for longer than the the nice feeling of alcohol and makes us feel so much worse. So drinking to numb is is actually a really counterproductive thing to do. You end up feeling worse. But the brain, it's really interesting. We remember the feel-good feeling more than we remember the shit feeling. It's Mm. just the way that we're built human beings. So we don't think about, oh, drinking, you know, it makes me feel really crap. I mean, yes, we do. We do sometimes, but more often than not, we're like drinking makes us feel good. It's a social thing to do. There's like a happy kind of vibe when we think about sitting with friends drinking, but actually that's all an illusion. It really is an illusion. Mm. And so in terms of numbing feelings and emotions, when you think about this habit that people fall into, which is using alcohol when they feel something, Mm. um, when they feel stress or they feel uh, a trigger that might make them have to kind of think about something that is unpleasant um, or anything like that or deal with a stressful moment or an argument with a loved one, it makes sense that we reach for that thing, like Mm. you said, that's so socially acceptable because it literally makes us feel better in that moment Mm. so yeah that's often how the habit is formed the habit of drinking because all habits are all habits are us trying to escape an emotional Mm. uh, response or we're trying to find a different emotional response to a situation so yeah it's all about escapism and and using it as a coping mechanism yeah yeah we did an episode on um, instant gratification recently and we were talking about the fact that that dopamine hit and however we get it, whether it is through alcohol or whether it is, you know, um, chocolate or social media addiction, like we are constantly seeking that dopamine hit because it's so easy and quick to get. (laughs) Um, But yeah, obviously escapism is not a long-term solution and it can feel good at the time. And yeah, um, I think finding other ways of, as you said, processing emotions. Yeah, yeah, I would love to know what techniques yeah. really supported you on your journey, Lucy. Especially in those early days because it can seem really overwhelming to go from, like we said, that really quick fix to finding something else instead, especially when you are so deep in that self-loathing, I would imagine. Yeah, absolutely. So something I worked out really quickly was I had to find my dopamine hits in healthy ways. Mm. And because I was doing so much research into alcohol addiction in the brain, I started to understand that alcohol was just a purely artificial high. Mm -hmm. And so what I wanted to do was look at ways to build up that dopamine bank essentially in healthy ways, incrementally and steadily throughout my day. Mm. And I mean, that took a few weeks to to get through the physical cravings Mm. and I'll talk about cravings as well, but 
just building up that that storage of dopamine and creating new healthy habits throughout my day that I still have up to this, like it's been nearly four years and I still have all of these healthy habits um, was such a, it has been such a huge supportive tool for me in sobriety. And the second thing I was just going to talk about was like actually getting through cravings and triggers. So Mm. cravings and triggers are slightly different. A trigger will be um, like an emotional feeling Mm. that we'll start feeling and we'll want to escape from that in some way. And I worked out really, really quickly that what my triggers were. And I had a few that were to do with family, definitely my husband at the time. Mm. Um, And, you know, stress from work and and my kids feeling overloaded Um, And I would feel these emotional triggers and I realized that if I just sat in them for a moment and realized that it's not going to, they're not going to kill me. I'm not going to die from feeling like this. Mm. Instead, I'm going to process what's coming up and then be able to make, um, I guess, have some really key learnings into who I am as a person. That's when I would feel like I'd really grown as a person on the other side. Mm. And I mean, a main one was this feeling of, um, you know, like a trigger that we receive now is, is so deeply tied to childhood triggers, right? Yeah. So we can draw it back to things that happened um, when we were kids. But for me, it was like not being heard, not being respected. And I really found that in my marriage that was going on quite a bit. And it was so hard to to not just want to grab a bottle of wine and drink to kind of escape, but I had mm. to sit with it and I had to journal about it. I often found myself like crying hysterically and that was a really powerful and wonderful tool that mm. I used in early sobriety and really encourage um, all of our members to do as well. There's nothing wrong with crying. Mm. It's how we, um, we can process what's coming. It's how we manage our emotions after that that really matters. Mm. And so, yeah, crying, journaling, hot shower, Mm. um, but making sure I wasn't escaping from what was coming up, but really processing it and working it out. Mm. And, you know, I was about to say, unfortunately, but not unfortunately, Mm -hmm. it led me to leaving my husband because without that numbing agent of alcohol, I had to see things clearly and Mm. see what was going on and then work through it and, I basically spent a year coming up uh, with a plan for how to, to get out of that marriage because I could just see it was so unhealthy. Mm. Um, and that's often what happens in sobriety is we have to deal with the stuff that yeah. we kept running from for so long. Yeah. Um, but it's a really important, important process. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, I love that. It's so, it's so deep. It's, mm. it's so deeply um yeah, all these things that we're, like you say, we're running from. And I think um, in in my journey as well, I have, um, it, just like you, Lucy, you really thought about, okay, why did I want the alcohol? And then being curious about it and being like, oh, I'm not wanting to think about this. And then sitting with that and then not needing to choose it. But like you said, I think that is a, a skill to develop. Um, in my younger years, I did have, um, I was drinking alcohol quite a lot and it was really that escapism metric. Mm. And now um, throughout my corporate career, I was always going to uh, marketing events and always going to these big functions. And the best rule that saved me in that was 
that when I'm working, I'm not drinking. And that really um, saved me because I just saw how people's behaviour changed and the things and events that would happen and what alcohol would fuel. And that was really enough in my corporate years, um, having that, seeing that, Mm. that really turned me away from it because um, I could see people's, yeah, personalities literally change before my eyes. Um, And I find that really interesting because on that spiritual perspective, they say that alcohol displaces the aura so and the spirit. They say it's like you've been taken over by another spirit, yeah. which I and that's literally like, a spirit. Yeah, like literally <laughs> a, like a bad spirit. Like you've opened up your aura and now you're susceptible to whatever. Um, so I find that really fascinating because, I, and like you say, Lucy, I think depending on um, you know, who you are, it, it affects, alcohol affects us in different ways. Mm. But, um, for some people, yeah, they become completely different people. Um, Mm. and so I just, I think it comes back to the mental health of things as well. Um, what has been your experience with, um, not drinking and mental health and in your, in your, um, thrivalist society now, Um, Do you have any stories about people that were really suffering with their mental health and potentially people not even knowing that alcohol is affecting their mental health? Yeah, we have so many, so many stories like that. I just want to quickly touch on what you mentioned before, if that's okay, about not not drinking and not mixing work and alcohol. I think that's so smart of you. (laughs) And I wish that I had taken that advice myself because there's just been so many drunken work events that you know it gets close to to ruining your career basically Mm -hmm. and I think that um it's just not acceptable for it to be so easily accessible especially around work colleagues and promoted at work events and things like that so yeah well done you (laughs) (laughs) so good and in terms of mental health and alcohol the link is undeniably strong Mm -hmm. and yes pretty much everyone who's who has come through Thrivalist um, will say that within a few weeks their mental health starts to improve. And for me, I, I mentioned before that I've suffered from anxiety. I suffered, I started seeing a psychologist when I was 14 and that was the same time that I started drinking. Mm. And I always just thought that I had really, really bad anxiety and I've been on and off antidepressants. Um, I've basically been seeing a psychologist for that long, so 20, 25 years. And it wasn't until I stopped drinking that I started to not feel anxious. And so obviously when you drink on antidepressants, Mm. you are basically counter, it's it's very counter, you're countering the effects of the um, SSRI. So Mm. stopping drinking and stopping drinking alone and I wasn't on medication I'm actually back on medication (laughs) I wasn't when I first stopped but my mental health was so good I felt happy I felt clear-headed my energy levels were great I all of my kind of insecure depression feelings really subsided um 
And so the link, yeah, it's just, it's huge how quickly you feel so much better when you just take alcohol out of the equation. Mm -hmm. And again, just thinking about what alcohol is, it is, I mean, it's ethanol, which is rocket fuel. um, And it releases a huge artificial surge of dopamine, which of course is going to counter with stress hormones. So when Mm -hmm. you just think about it really logically, it is, it causes anxiety and it causes depression. So, yeah. Mm. And it's that poison. It's it's literally chosen poison, really. <laughs> I try not yeah. to be too kind of so like alcohol. I mean, apes created alcohol. Yeah, mm. berries. So they were we've been getting drunk since we were monkeys, basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it's part of human beings. It's what we, you know, it's a thing that will probably always be around in terms mm. of how it's used. Um, and to, you know, how it's marketed, I'm hoping will change. Mm. But I don't like to shame alcohol. Yes, it yeah. is a poison yes. be- I think and it is really carcinogenic. Mm. Um, but I'm also really mindful of the fact that there are normal drinkers out there. There are people who can have a glass of champagne at a wedding yeah. and offer a toast. There are normal drinkers and it's okay because it's really part of who we are as humans. Mm. Um, but what I, I guess like my message is, always knowing that if there is a problem for you personally, mm. that that it really is important that you nip it in the bud ASAP. Yeah. And so, yeah, back to what alcohol is. Yes, it's a poison. It's actually been proven to be carcinogenic. So not only does it sort of decrease your health or affect your health, but it actually causes cancer. Um, and so like cigarettes, it's obviously, I don't think it's, you know, as dangerous as cigarettes on the health um, but it does have, it does actually cause cancer. So that's something that's really important to know if you choose to drink alcohol. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a really important um, point. And Em and I were speaking about that before and not, yeah, putting that that shame onto to alcohol or those choices. But I really feel, as you've mentioned, Lucy, it is the relationship that we need to address how we're using mm. and um yeah, what is in our lifestyle. Um, Because I'm finding that now when I have alcohol, it is uh, when I'm in a, I really want to enjoy like sit down with Mm, my husband mm. or like I might be gardening and like looking at the sunset, something that is really pleasure orientated rather than that escapism. That's what my um, relationship with alcohol has moved from. But I have that all or nothing personality. Mm. So I need to give myself those rules. Like if I go out to an event, I will normally drive Mm. because then I'll only allow myself to have one drink. And that has really like helped me with my relationship with alcohol because then that's my non-negotiable and that's the way that I can... um, yeah, really, really work with that. And, and it's really served me. And now I, yeah, have such a better relationship with alcohol and just use it as, um, you know, I'll really enjoy it. Like I'll get a really, really beautiful wine, um, like a biodynamic wine. And so it's got, you know, the beautiful flavors and then like just enjoy it and not do the excess like I would when I was younger. I was just, you know, drinking to drink, to get the feeling, to get, um, that escapism. So I, yeah, I think that is really important to distinguish. Mm. Absolutely. And so do you find now that you are able to just stop yourself whenever you want to stop, you've got full control over it? 
yeah, I have full control now. Yes, definitely. But when I was younger, I I didn't have that. No. Mm, That's good. So you've actually rewired your brain Mm. around your drinking habits and that is also possible. Um, And we, we kind of teach that in Thrivalist as well. You don't have to stop forever. It's Mm. just about really addressing why you drink and looking at those root causes and making sure that you're drinking not for the wrong reasons. Um, and we always recommend it's a really great idea to take a break off completely to do that work because mm. it's important to kind of feel the joys of sobriety and start to, um, yeah, give yourself that space to, to do that deeper work. It's super important. I like yeah, what you're you said. A, oh, sorry, Lucy. Sorry. No, you're a great <laughs> example of someone who's kind of done that hard work on your own to completely change your relationship with alcohol. Um, and it's not easy. So well done. Really Thank good. you. And like you say, Lucy, yeah, it took, I needed to take a break mm. and I wouldn't have had that awareness without taking a break. Exactly mm. what you said. Yeah. And you know, it also comes down to current life situation as well. Like, are you in a happy relationship? Have you yeah. been a supportive partner who is willing to, you know, be there for you and love you? Um, are you in a job that brings you joy? All yeah. of these mm-hmm. things play a role in how we manage our relationship with alcohol as well. Yeah. So, yeah. It's holistic, isn't it, like with anything? It really is, yeah. absolutely. And I think it's interesting, as you were both saying, taking that break is important and especially when we look at it from that dopamine viewpoint, that dopamine, it's our reward system, it's our feel-good reward chemical and it can, that dopamine reward system can be reset but we need to kind of almost go yeah take a break from what it is that is giving us that dopamine addiction and it's interesting you know talking about alcohol and um drinking to excess and losing that sense of control with alcohol I can definitely see parallels there and that dopamine reward system parallels with that too to other addictions like sugar for example like sugar is in almost everything and we are addicted to it and it's normalized because it is in so much Mm. but like sugar is as addictive as cocaine and heroin and yeah having a break from sugar even can reset that dopamine reward system and again I think it's just everything in moderation isn't it yeah well psychologists say that we humans can become addicted to anything yeah. any behavior yeah <laughs> some people can become I know this is really bizarre I was reading about it the other day people become addicted to eating paper and yeah, wow. it's really bizarre how um we how a habit starts with just a little habit and the brain very quickly um creates that dopamine heat out of that yeah. habit and it builds up over time and so yeah absolutely sugar's another huge one mm. we often sort of say to our members um, don't worry too much about sugar to begin with because mm. coming off alcohol, if you need to have a bit of sugar, yeah. you're going to be craving sugar. And in mm. fact, early sobriety, yeah. you crave sugar. You crave um, obviously the sugar that's in alcohol, you're no longer getting anymore. Mm. But also that dopamine hit, it's very similar to the hit you get from yeah. alcohol. Yeah. So <laughs> a lot of our members are like, why am I eating a block of chocolate? <laughs> it's fine it's it's honestly it's like if that's what you're doing instead of drinking that's okay we'll we'll get off that next um and it's a lot easier to get off sugar than it is to get off alcohol yeah one step at a time yeah yeah can you talk to us about what it was like for you going sober especially you know um well yeah tell us did you go cold completely cold turkey how did you find that because obviously 
as you said, then that can bring up that craving because going cold turkey is hard as with any addiction. Did your friendship and your lifestyle change? Yeah. Like did you not want to hang out in those environments anymore that were really conducive to drinking? Yeah, I'd love to yes. know. So do you want me to talk about the friendship one first or the cravings, early sobriety or all of it? I guess all yeah, all of the above. Like how yeah. did you navigate, especially early on? Um, so it's so long ago. I started, <laughs> it's such an, I love this question because I, I don't really think about it anymore. I'm yeah. so in this world of like, yeah. But very early on, I bought myself a journal and I actually, not very early on, the first day of sobriety, I wrote on my journal what I had to do every single day for, I think my goal at the start was about six weeks of sobriety. I just wanted to take a break to reset Mm -hmm. um, and work out what the hell to do next. Mm -hmm. Um, And the three things I had to do, I had to not drink alcohol. I did not smoke because I smoked as well. Mm -hmm. And I had to move my body. And so I sort of set these really achievable targets for myself every day. And then after a few days, I realized I could kind of add things on. And so over time, I started to implement new healthy habits to support that habit of sobriety. Um, And it really was about, I had a mantra, like determination, dedication, consistency, showing up for myself every day, knowing how much I wanted this and being really clear about why I wanted this, which was because I knew alcohol was always going to keep me small. I just knew it. Um, and so repeating that in my mind, reading over my that journal and that mantra, reminding myself constantly of, of why I was doing this really helped keep me on track. And yes, I had cravings. I, I knew that I would. I'd taken breaks in the past, so I knew what the alcohol craving felt like. Mm. And I also knew because I very quickly started researching I knew that it would only last a couple of minutes. Mm. I would get through the craving um, and every craving I got through, I was rewiring my brain. I really loved Mm. kind of visualizing that process happening in my brain of changing my habit and behavior, knowing that this wasn't going to be a long-term feeling. Mm. I also created a toolkit of tools to use when I had a craving. And there's one called play the tape forward, which is visualizing if you do choose to drink, the sequence of events that would happen, it wouldn't be one drink. It would be a whole bottle, maybe two, and how I'd feel the following day. And then visualising if I didn't drink, how I would feel, how proud of myself I'd be and, you know, how great I'd feel the next day. I also really quickly worked out that there was actually two voices in my head. There was this voice that I called my soul voice, so Lucy, my soul Lucy, and there was this really nasty voice um, that would tell me to drink. And it's quite a a very popular tool in the sobriety space and we use it at Thrivalist. It's called Addictive Voice Recognition Tool and it's really naming that that wine witch. We call her the wine witch. (laughs) Oh, I love that. (laughs) We call her the wine witch. So calling her out and talking back to her and telling her, you're wrong. I don't want a glass of wine. I don't need a glass of wine Mm. because her voice can be so loud in early sobriety. Mm. You know, everyone's doing it. You deserve this drink. God, look at those people. They're having a great time. You can just have one. And that is all a lie. Mm. And she stems from 
the part of our brain, which is the reptilian part of our brain, mm. which thinks that alcohol is really important for survival. Mm. But anyway, so being able to yeah, associate between those two different voices and just getting really clear about building that connection with soul Lucy was really, really important. I started meditating um, and I started to feel so deeply connected to a higher purpose or you know what I call now the universe Mm. and really it was so incredible how all of these synchronicities started happening and led me down this beautiful path to where I am now and that just happens to me every day now Mm. but that became so much louder in sobriety so really leading into to that connection yeah yeah and also um a tool another really powerful tool was simply being able to sit with the feeling and allow myself to feel it and sort of dissect it a little bit and take it as a bit of an experiment, write down, you know, what I was feeling, where in my body was I feeling? What did I think that I needed to help me through that feeling? Because it wasn't alcohol I was craving. It was often, a lot of the time it was, it was often sleep mm. or it was a really nice meal and um, a trashy TV show yeah. or a walk on the beach barefoot or cry, chat to my best girlfriend. So being able to identify that I had all these needs that I hadn't been, you know, meeting because I'd been rushing off for a glass of wine and suddenly Mm. I have to meet my needs for the first time. So, Mm. yeah, that was that was early sobriety. Yeah, that's really powerful, Lucy. And I love that you've touched on those health benefits that you received as well. And, you know, we might not think about that, but the improved sleep, not only the the mental state as well, mm. but how we're functioning the next day, how our body's feeling. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's that's really important to, to think about. And very empowering to distinguish the motivation from that feeling perspective. How do we yes. want to feel? Not... I'm giving up alcohol because I should or because this person has said something or because I embarrassed myself because I will feel better. I want to feel this way and not drinking is going to help me feel that. I think, yeah, feelings can be such an important motivator. Yeah, and I love yeah. those tools that you've identified. Yeah. Um, they're really I've actually never heard of that before, though those okay. steps. So yeah, <laughs> I think that's it's really interesting. And I think it does come back when we're in that place of um with our friends having alcohol, it does come back to that connection. Everyone else is drinking, so we mm. want that um connection. We want to be part of the group. So I can so see how that is wired in as part of a survival mechanism that we want to belong as well so let's just yeah have a have a few drinks and yeah fascinating yeah and and when we drink we surround ourselves with people who also drink yeah and so getting to the end of your drinking career and thinking about not drinking it's like well how the hell will I socialize because Mm. everyone I know drinks everyone Mm. I knew when Mm. I stopped drinking drink mm. everyone mm. now I I have more friends that don't drink than do and I mean yeah. that's because of the times are changing but also because of the people I now surround myself with yeah, yeah. and and why no, do you sorry. think the times are changing Lucy what do you think this awareness or this big movement because it's louder than I've ever seen it before yeah, yeah the movement was happening over in the states about 
10 years ago and and then it hit the UK and it's kind of been all happening over there for quite a lot of time, quite a long time and I think COVID it was really when I first stopped there was really not a lot happening in a space in Australia mm. and since then it's kind of really shot up and there's a couple of things that have happened first of all obviously we follow trends that come from the US and there's this really undeniable link between mental health and drinking and also physical health, our Mm -hmm. health and wellness and drinking. And people can't ignore that anymore. They can't pretend it's not there. It's it's there. We know it. Mm -hmm. So people are wanting to, you know, preserve their life and their mental health. Um, There's also COVID really ramped up the amount that alcohol um, was consumed in in Australian households. I think it's a global thing as well. And so with that came a whole bunch of people wanting to stop drinking and um, a whole bunch of people who needed to stop drinking. So there's been this incredible rise in the alcohol-free drinks industry as well, which is really Mm. supporting these people. Um, So I think it's just, I really think that the global movement has been led by this deep connection and knowing that it's really affecting our health negatively and we can't ignore it anymore Mm. yeah Mm. absolutely yeah and I guess the sharing of information and access to information and people actually speaking up like yourself and sharing their journey whereas in the past maybe it didn't feel like there was that safe space to be able to and again like you said in places like America and the UK and Australia where Drinking is so normalised. And I think especially in Australia, um, there is that real, like, yeah, (laughs) it's a very drink-oriented play or has been. Yes, yeah, massively cultural, yeah. It has. Look, it's actually, it's a Western culture thing. So we we have members from Ireland who are like, we are the yes yes yeah and we have people from England saying like it's yeah. so so and Australia is very is, is a binge drinking culture absolutely. yes yeah, yeah. that's um, so true yeah it really is and so yeah it is a western culture thing so with people sharing their stories it, it comes so much um I guess I guess in, inspiration mm. so for me I heard a podcast with Ruby Warrington on it. And she wrote, I was going to ask you if you've, Tara, if you've read Sober Curious, because a lot of the stuff that you talk about is really aligned with her um, theories around spiritual connection and drinking. I think you'd love that book. Oh, amazing. I haven't, but I'll put that in the show notes and I'll read that. She's amazing. She came onto our membership last week and spoke to our community. But I heard her on a podcast, Ashley Wood's podcast, And that was how I started thinking about sobriety from a different lens for the Mm. first time. And it was having access to a podcast. Yeah. It was having access to people like Ruby who had a place to share her message. Mm. Um, And there's other incredible leaders in this space. Holly Whitaker is one. She wrote a book called Quit Like a Woman. Annie Grace is another one who have all led the way. And Mm. if it wasn't for these incredible people sharing their experience and their knowledge and also like you dedicate so much time to this cause and it's not because you're going to be rich because if you're mm. going to be rich, don't be surprised. <laughs> it's because you really want to help people. Yeah, and it's heart-led. Yeah. It, yeah, it really is. So um, I guess my point is, yeah, having access, like you mentioned, to yeah. to, to hearing things like this is, is so life-changing. 
And that social proof that someone else can do it, I can do it too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just planting the seeds. And I think this is why this conversation is important because we're not necessarily saying, yeah, go cold turkey, but just examine the relationship because Mm. it's something that you might not even have in your awareness, but it's just the little things that start adding up. Like I would always check into my body after I'd had a glass of wine the night before and I noticed things like, Um, my patience was thinner and just these little things. And so, yeah, it's just like checking in and planting those seeds and and seeing how you're reacting and responding because sometimes we can't put those patterns and those pieces together unless we've got that self-awareness. Yeah. Mm, So So I I love that. So thank you for having this conversation with us, Lucy. And we would love to ask... um, what does health is the new wealth mean to you? So coming out of 12 days of having the flu and just being like <laughs> so unwell, it's everything. Health yeah. is everything. It's, I actually had um, a few months of, of burnout last year and mm-hmm. it was a huge wake-up call to really manage my stress a lot better. So health is a new wealth is all about managing my stress daily, making sure that my nervous system is beautifully regulated as much as I possibly can, Mm. eating well, taking care of myself because I need my health. I need it to run my business and look after my family. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Beautiful. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you so much, Lucy. And could you just let us know where our listeners can find you and if they're interested in joining Thrivalist Society Mm. as well? Thank you so much for having me, ladies. So it's Thrivalist Sobriety. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it is um, a society as well, though. But it is. It's Thrivalist Sobriety. So Thrivalist, T-H-R-I-V-A-L-I-S-T, sobriety.com. And we have an Instagram page, obviously, and TikTok and all of the other things as well. Um, and so to join Thrivalist, it's really about starting with the Signature Sobriety course. So you sign up and you pay for the Signature Sobriety course and then you um, enter our membership program as well. Mm. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Lucy. Yeah. And thank you. I'm, I want to take a moment to honour you for being really vulnerable. Thanks for listening, fellow witch. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review. This really helps us to reach other witches. And speaking of other witches and reaching them, we would love to see you on socials. We are at Witches Being Witches on Instagram. And we would love, love, love if you could share your favourite moments from this episode and slash all where you are listening from in your Instagram stories. Don't forget to tag us. We are at Witches Being Witches. And then come and join us in the Facebook Coven too. We are WBW Coven over on Facebook. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Witches Being Witches. Remember, happiness is the new rich. Inner peace is the new success. Health is the new wealth. And kindness is a new call. We'll see you next episode.